podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, Kules, and welcome to Barca Talk, which is part of the Blaugranogram Podcast Network. I am Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid, Spain, and with me is my UK brother, Craig McGough. Craig, Happy New Year. How are we doing, buddy? Happy New Year to you. Very good. How are you? You know, surviving. <laughs> I mean, that's really all it is. It's really cold here in Madrid, and uh, I was speaking with Brian earlier this week. You know, our housing here is meant for the heat, not for the cold. And so when <laughs> it's zero minus one, it really, you can really feel it. How about you guys? How are you doing over there? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we COVID is hitting us hard. Uh, the weather is hitting us hard as well, but I guess different to you. We kind of expect that here. So just follow my lead. Eat loads of chocolate. And if your house isn't built for the winter, at least build your body fit for the winter, which is what I've done, and pile some pounds on, my friend. <laughs> that's, some, that's some really good advice. That's some really good advice. <laughs> well, we had we had two matches this week. Uh, Barca played Ibar this week, and they tied 1-1. And then we just finished watching the Huesca match where they just mm. earned three points and they won 1-0. In this match against Huesca, Kuman again chose a 4-2-3-1, going with Busquets yet again. And this kind of brings up this topic that not only the Spanish media is talking about here, but also our friends at the Blaugranogram. They wrote about Puj and Elena's future, more importantly, this winter window. Let's let's start off t- talking with Elena. Now, the rumor is Elena might be headed to your favorite team, Hitafe. Mm. So do you think him leaving Barca is a good move for Alenia. Yeah, I think it's a good move for Alenia. I think it's a fundamental failing on behalf of the club. He, he offers a lot, I think, particularly if Koeman's going to stick with a system that he's seemingly sticking with in, in the 4-2-3-1. I think he is the natural replacement of uh, the two that we'll discuss of, of Alenia and Puj. I think Alenia is the one that's more suited to fit into that system. But the biggest question for me with Alenia wouldn't be whether Lamassi is failing and these questions that we come to when we talk about Ricky Puj is that if we're now going to send him out again, why on earth didn't we let him go in the summer when he was already away from the squad? You know, we we proactively brought him back. He, he's been out and he's come back and I don't understand it. So I think if I was, obviously, you know, Carlos Alenia's dad was a, was a very good football player in his own right. If I was him or his representatives, I'd be saying to Carlos that he needs to go elsewhere. But I think... If, if we're talking about the structure of the club and developing our own players, I think Alenia going would actually raise a lot of very difficult questions for the for the organizational structure of the players. What, what about you? What's your take on it? Yeah, I think, like you said, I think, you know, him going to Betis last season, I thought was a plus. I thought, you know, especially if Kuman doesn't have him in his plans, right? I mm. think he would benefit from going to another La Liga team. Now, I don't know if Hitafe is the answer. And by the way, I really love... Anytime Hitafe is announced in our WhatsApp group for Patreons, <laughs> they just troll you all the time. And it's I wish I could hide it but better. Anyway. But, the, 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 this, <laughs> this, 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 but this is another really important question, isn't it? Because because if we if we're loaning a player, for me, there's, there's there's two fundamental questions that we're asking that that person to to go away and answer. Number one, can you handle the physicality of playing adult football? So if you're sending a 16, a 17-year-old player out, it kind of doesn't matter where they go as long as they're playing with adults. Now, that's mitigated slightly in Spain by the fact that Barca B play in the, the full adult tiers of Spanish football. But often you'll send a player out and it's a case of, OK, can you go and play at that tempo? Can you go and get kicked and get back up? The other question that you answer is, can you play in our system? which presumably is what we're going out to, to do with Carlos Alenia. If we're doing that, then Hitafe is not the club. Now, I despise that club, and I'm going to use that word deliberately. They're a horrible club, a horrible institution. They play football that makes my eyes bleed. They don't play the way we play. So what is he learning? 
he's proven he can play in the Liga. So the tempo, the fitness, the the number of matches, the pressure, the crowds, etc. We can take that away. If it's not about the system, are we literally just putting this guy in the shop window? Which again, without repeating myself, begs the question: Why on earth we brought him back? Because Betis wanted to buy him. And again, the final takeaway of loans should be: Do we want him back? And surely the biggest indicator of whether we should take it back is whether the club who loaned him want him. If they do, it shows you've got a player there. So I, I'm very, very, very confused about the Alenia scenario. It doesn't. I don't see any benefits for anyone other than the player who then is playing. But then he's playing in Hatafe, and is that better than taking up cricket? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. And the thing is, you know, if the board is looking to you know, develop Alenia to have him in the future squad, then they have to pick the right team for him, not just to get the most money for Hitafe, right? Because you have to look into the future. Now, I think I thought Betis would be a good fit because of the style of play. It's more offensive. And he did thrive last last season. Now, again, like you said, I just don't understand because the style of Hitafe is the complete 180 of Barca. So mm. what is he going to learn, right? Elbows, right? Boring passing. <laughs> like, I don't know what he's going to learn. This is the That's type of it. thing, right? Go, go on and play in yeah. front of 8,000 people at the Coliseum Perez and bore yourself to death every night. What's the point of that? <laughs> exactly. If you had to, if you were part of the board, which team in La Liga would you kind of push Alenia towards? Is there a team that you would specifically look to right now in this season? If we're saying the aim is for him to get minutes, send him a Barca B. We have, we have a team that plays our system by definition, which means a player doesn't have to uproot himself. Send him there. You know, and I, I don't know if it's doable. There, there might be a restriction that stops us doing this. But if it is doable, that's what I would do. I, I, it, it baffles me that we don't do this more. If we've got youngsters and we've got an adult team there, if it's just about keeping him fresh and getting him in it, send him there. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. And now let's talk about the wonder kid, right? Ricky Puj, everyone loves him. Mm. Uh, you know, here there's a lot of rumors of he's going to leave or not. Let me just give you some of his minutes this season. Four minutes in La Liga, 74 minutes total in Champions League, not playing 90. And just to compare to Busquets, right? So Busquets in La Liga this season so far, not including Huesca, 878 minutes and in Champions, 177 minutes. Our friends at Blogonogram wrote an article about that there is rumblings here in Barcelona that he is going to get extended until 2023. But would you prefer him to see him leave? Or do you still want him to kind of stay under the umbrella here and wait it out under Kuman? You know, we've discussed on, on, on a pod before. I've got concerns as to why he's not playing. For anyone who, di- who didn't listen to, to the conversation we had about it, I think there is either a fundamental misunderstanding of the ability of this guy. Either that is the board and the management undervaluing him or the supporters overvaluing him. I'm not sure, but there's clearly a, there is clearly a disconnect between the expectation outside of the team and within, or it's a case of his behavior means he's a, he's a bad apple. And, and obviously that's, that's difficult. So I think for my take, first of all, is there's, there has to be a reason that this guy isn't playing more. My second point, and it would be, you know, we, we, as a club, we have an appalling record of loaning youngsters out who then come back and make any form of, of impact in the first team. Uh, the players that people will probably think of will be Alenia, who came back and played for the first team. We've just discussed him. Rafinha, who was on and off more than a taxi light in terms of his first team, not first team, in, out. You know, he's seen more clubs than a sticker annual. And we've failed with other players. And, you know, I'm going to reel off some stats of players who've gone on loan, who've done nothing for the club, who were seen as very, very, very strong talents. Gerard Delafeu was a second coming of Messi in some papers at some point. Done nothing. Rafinha, you have mentioned. Sergi Samper was held in the same regard. 
you know, he he walked to the, onto the Gamper pitch in 2009, I will say, 2009-2010, to a hero's welcome. We've got people like Kukurea, who've gone to Hetafe, where souls go to die, um, <laughs> that we might bring back for lots and lots of cash, presumably. Dennis Suarez, the next wonder kid, gone. Christian Teo, gone. Ibrahim Afalai, assisted in the Classico, gone. Alan Halilovic, the next Messi, gone. Tadebo, who knows where he's going. Wagwe, obviously an injury, but who knows? And then we've got Miranda and all your Busquets are out on loan, and who knows what they'll do. So I think if you're a Ricky Pooge fan or one of his representatives, I think you need to be very careful about going out on loan because I don't think you necessarily have any chance of coming back. The other thing I would say is if the club are going to renew his contract, I don't believe that they're doing that as a retention tool. I think they're doing that as a commercial selling tool. And a loan would just help put him in the shot window. So I would be very sceptical if I was a fan of his, even though I think it's the right thing for him as a, as a professional footballer. Um, I think it would establish him as a first-team player elsewhere, but I don't think it would help establish him as a first-team player at Barca. Well, again, just talking about the theory of the loan, right? In theory, it's to develop time. But again, with this impressive list that you've come up with, I'm just looking at it and thinking about all the potential of all these players that tried to come onto the first team and just couldn't succeed for one reason or another. And I just don't want Puj to go through that. So on one hand... If we had a real sporting director and president at the moment, then I would have a little faith in them right now to make the right decision with that. But since we're in complete flux right now, I would rather see Puj stay and just wait it out because I think also with Kuman and the new board coming in, I just don't think Kuman's going to last for more than two seasons. And I think Puj can wait it out and see what happens. Now, if the next manager comes in and doesn't utilize him, then that's kind of your answer, right? Because after four managers, we will know that there's something missing. You know, obviously, Kuman with his quotes talking about his practice. Um, you know, obviously, Kuman doesn't have a good feeling about him because he feels that he's a traitor, a mole, this type of thing. So, you know, we love the Barca La Masia program so much. We want to see these players succeed. But yep. there is definitely a disconnect of the board and what they ultimately want to do in development of these teams or just getting the money. I just think we need to understand, first of all, why he's not being played and then look at it. It's not as simple as just sending these kids out and getting them back, because as we see, it doesn't work that way. And I think Ricky Pooge is in a he's in a battle between between Kuman going and and him still being a product. But very soon, and we've had this chat before, very soon it's going to be Barca B Wonder Kid prospect Ricky Pooge to a man who's hanging around this first team dressing room like a bad smell, Ricky Pooge, if he doesn't do it one way or the other. So I <laughs> I, I really don't I think the Ricky Pooge one is a very difficult one. And I cat amongst the pigeons, I don't think the new president sorts it in time for him whether he stays or whether, or whether he goes, because I don't think the new president will have enough time to fix it for him. His, Ricky Pooge's next move will be one that I wouldn't want to make myself, put it that way. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, the winter window is open until February 1st, so we're obviously we have, I mean, we're just starting. You know how it is. The hype machine, Twitter machine is going to go full, full throttle right now with all the rumors. Well, Craig, I want to talk to you about our new sponsor here. Um, support for the Barca Talk podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in man's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Also, Craig, they're available in the UK, just for you. Uh, we've you. gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can be the first men in England, one of the first, Craig, you, in England, to experience this life-changing product. If you use our code BTP20, you get 20% off and free shipping. Again, the code is BTP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Use the code your balls will thank you. 
All right, Craig. So this week also, uh, Barca played against Ibar, and they drew one to one. And Messi did not play because Kuman wanted to give him a rest. He said he w- he was a little bit injured, but again, it, he had just come back from Argentina from Christmas. And you know, Barca earned a penalty, and Braithwaite took the penalty and missed it. You know how I know you're never on Twitter. I am always this lit Barca Twitter on fire. And so we wanted to explore the hierarchy. Who are the penalty kick takers when Messi is absent? And I first want to kind of pick your brain on your list, go through that, pick my list, and then go through that and see how we can mix and match to get the best conversion rate going forward. Obviously, Messi's not going to miss that many games going forward, but this could come up again. So who are your three PK takers when Messi is absent? Pjanic, number one. De Jong, number two. And I would have Griezmann, number three, with the caveat that that's four attackers that i don't trust to score one-on-one from 12 yards that's depressing on multiple levels but that with my <laughs> list what about yours all right so let me just quickly so pianic really has a high conversion rate he's made 10 and only missed one so out of 11 so that's that's massive right so that's massive i didn't know you that said that's, that's really impressive yeah yeah so de Jong, you said and de Jong is my number two so i'll start up with mine and i originally when i started this list i did it just off feeling without looking at the statistics mm. so it was griezmann Dijon Braithwaite. That was my three. But then after looking at the lineup or the stats, actually, in the analytics of this, I was like, Griezmann has made 17 and missed 10 in his career. So that's too too many misses for me. That's a 63% conversion. Dijon has only converted once, and that was when he was an under 21. And Braithwaite has made nine and missed five with a 64% conversion. So I am going to have to change it and follow you with Pjanic as number one. That's my win. Yeah, yeah. And then I would go Pjanic, Dijon, and then Griezmann, just like you. Against the match in Ibar, Braithwaite misses that PK. This is why Barca Twitter went on a fire is because Barca was playing, and I use in quotes, much better than Ibar at this time. And not getting that early goal really hurt their momentum and Mm. Eventually, I think getting those three points, that was massive. Uh, it's, a di- it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because penalty kicks come down to such a fine margin. And, you know, it, it genuinely scoring and missing could be a matter of centimeters. And it's hard to lay the blame at Brathwaite's door, but it, it, it shines a light on something that I think we've seen again tonight in the Wesker match, which is that, yes, having a number nine makes us play better, but he is not the answer. And I've, I've been fairly consistent on that. He is not, he is not the level that we've been at. And if it's indicative of the fact that's the level that we're now at, then I think we've got more important things to worry about than, than penalty kicks. But yeah, I mean, the conversion stats are awful and it, I'd be interested to see, I don't have them, but I'd, I'd be interested to see what the, the actual shot to goal conversion ratio is of those outside of Messi as well. Because, you know, one of the things that I just don't feel we are anymore is we aren't clinical at all. If you were a defender playing for Wesker, Abar, Valladolid, would you be overly concerned about the ball being in your box compared to where you would have been seven years ago? And I think we saw that again tonight. We're so toothless. And I've seen a great tweet tonight. I, I am on, I'm a bit of a lurker, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a social media voyeur. Um, so I am on Twitter a lot. I just, I just don't comment on much. And I've seen a great tweet that just said, I wish I could enjoy free kicks again. And I feel like that's where we are <laughs> on set pieces as, as, as a whole. You know, we're saying after Messi, but... I think even Messi's set piece uh, conversion rate will be down this year. So yeah, I think we're I think we're lackluster in a lot of areas. I think the penalty kicks, the free kicks, they just highlight a bit more because they are so clinical. I think our actual play against lower league opposition that I know we'll come on to is is poorer in general. I I, it is, I don't know. Is it psychology? Is it 
I don't know what it is, to be brutally honest. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And just kind of give context, Messi has seven, 97 PK goals, 78% conversion with 124 total chances. Let me ask you this, because I always get so mad watching penalty kicks. What was your philosophy taking PKs? Well, I never missed one. I've, I've never I've never missed a penalty. I don't I didn't take hundreds. Don't get me wrong. I've probably in competitive football taken 30. And I remember when I was young, like we're talking seven or eight years old, I was told, particularly now with the rule that you can't come off your line as a goalkeeper, if the ball is in the corner and you hit it hard enough, the keeper physically cannot get there. So I would always, I'm left footed. So I would open my left foot and it would go bottom left corner as I'm looking bottom in the keeper's bottom right corner. Uh, and no one ever got close. No one ever got close. I did miss one in a friendly. So I'm being a little bit generous to myself <laughs> uh, and, I, and, I, and I hit the inside of the post and it came out. But I, I, I will die on the hill that a professional footballer should never miss the target on a penalty kick. And they should never, and you know, this should, this should, shouldn't happen. You should never, ever miss the goal like Brathwaite did. What about yourself? What was your technique? Yeah, I'm left-footed as well. And my technique was always to go waist high because, you know, the goalie is always going to ground. And whenever I did go to ground, I I would say like 50% of my PKs got blocked because I just didn't hit it correctly. I overthought it. But anytime I went waist high, either left or right, I just felt more comfortable because I knew the goalie was going to ground for the most part. And I hit it hard yeah. enough. And so that's what kind of just drives me crazy because – it's like you said, especially now that the goalkeeper cannot move off his line, you definitely have the advantage. And I, you know, all the goalkeepers are always going to ground. And it's just, I don't understand. Just go waist high. Yeah. You're professional. You practice this after practice, right? This is one of the yeah. things you do. You brought up a great point. We're just not clinical at this moment. And when mm -hmm. you miss those opportunities and those easy goals, this is what's going to happen. You get a tie against Ibar when you should have got the three points, you know? I think the penalty for such a small act in such a small part of the season, which is one act in one game, I think was fairly indicative of a lot of, a lot of factors that we've got going on, which is there was some technical flaws in there. There was certainly some psychological flaws in there. And you're, a, you're a couple of centimeters away from the outcome of the game being fundamentally different. And I agree with you going back to the very original point you made, which is, I think if we score that, we win that game relatively comfortably. Yeah, I would agree. And, and like you said, we're a team right now that we just can't waste any opportunities. I just didn't realize how bad Griezmann's conversion was. I thought, you know, in my mind, especially during the World Cup, because I was looking at the numbers, he has a better percentage during international play than he did when he was at Atleti and obviously with Barca. But I just had this idea that he was more clinical as a PK ticker. But obviously looking at the stats, it's still, you know, it's, cl it's hovering closer to 50-50. And that's, mm. to me, as a professional striker, you got to be 70 and above. Like, you know, if you 100%. compare to Ronaldo or Zlatan, these type of players, they're they're yeah. hitting at a clip at higher than 70%. So, And even, you know, if you look at it, if it, it, I'd be interested to see what the breakdown was Champions League versus La Liga because I can understand if if you've taken 10 penalty kicks and they're against Neuer, Buffon, Edison, Allison, okay. But if you're against Iñaki Pena, then I'm sorry, but you should be scoring that. We're assuming that goalkeepers, fair enough, they're professional and they're working on this every day themselves, but they're not. They're, these penalties aren't all against world-class goalkeepers. So the breakdown is five La Liga, mm -hmm. then it's four for international, for France, and the rest is Champions League. We're lo I'm looking at this, the teams, and it's you know Chelsea, Sevilla, you know these type of teams. So it's it's definitely a higher echelon goalkeeping, like you said. But again, to me. You're a world-class striker. You have to be above mm -hmm. 70 at least because yep. this is the easy goal. It's like the free throw in, in basketball. It's the same distance every time. You know you know what it's going to be. The run-up should be the same. Line up, step back, run it, kick it, done. 
Well, obviously, even though Barca earned a victory tonight against Huesca, they continue to lose opportunities to earn maximum points against the lower half teams in La Liga. Is it merely bad luck or an existential crisis? After the break, we take a look at this. Life in Spain for Gabriel Quiroga means football all day, every day. In the morning, you get the papers, and then you jump on Twitter. That gets you through to lunch. And then after lunch, you have local sports shows here. What's the up-to-date after training? You might have the match later on that night. At the end of the night, at midnight, Chiringuito show, which is just gossip between Barcelona and Madrid. He and Mariana Guzman live it every day, and they bring it to you here on the Blaugranagram Podcast Network. Understanding who are the people to follow, the journalists to really respect, take their advice, and then portray that to our audience of what is being said about Barcelona with the up-to-date news of the week. On Barca Talk Cafe, an exclusive show for our supporters on Patreon, Gabriel and Mariana give you their unique outlook. We're trying to give you that experience of what it is to follow FC Barcelona here. And on top of that, trying to cut through the noise and trying to get the pure news and analysis that you want about FC Barcelona. Support us on Patreon to get your exclusive content. Just follow the link in our show notes. And I'm always joined from Barcelona, Mariana Guzman. Mariana, buenos dias, que tal? Good morning, Gabriel. How are you? Welcome back to Barca Talk. We're talking about Barca's lack of ability to earn maximum points this season against bottom half La Liga teams. And I'm talking 10th and below. I added Cadiz here just because they're ninth. On paper, normally we should beat them. But when we talk about this idea, is it bad luck or an existential crisis? Which way are you leaning more towards? Uh, I think it's a crisis. I think uh, when, when we were discussing this point, you said, have the teams got better? And I think the answer is no. I think the teams are where they are. I think we've slipped. Um, I think we we have the results that Sevilla would have had six years ago. And I think that's where we are. I think we are a team who fundamentally is no longer as clinical against these sorts of teams, going back to the point we've just been been speaking about. I don't think we're feared by these teams. I don't feel like they're set up in the same way they used to. I don't feel like we approach these games the way we used to. Uh, I think I think this is a product of what we've become. I think um, the results a bit of bad luck here and there, but I think the results are largely fair and that we need to, we need to accept that this season we are at the level that we're at. I'm the opposite. I think the teams are better. <laughs> I think, okay. I think the teams are better and I think it's, it's twofold. The teams are better and the elite teams are just not as elite anymore. And I just think there's just more parity in the league. And like I said, I just think also that these La Liga teams are just not as intimidated anymore. And I think it's even worse now without the crowds, right? Because it just feels like training sessions. I think in this trend recently, it was heading towards this way where teams would park the bus, find a counter, be able to score on that one time, and then really put pressure on Barca. But when I look at this this run of teams, especially just getting only 11 points out of 24, you know, that's where the title race is won or lost, right? It's being... Above average clinical against these lower tier teams when you have the opportunities. And Kuman has really been trying to find out his starting 11 and also, you know, dealing with injuries and also the momentum of the team. And so, for example, tonight against Huesca, he went back to the 4 2 3 1. He benches, um, you know, Griezmann. He puts Dembele in there. He puts Busquets back there. And they were able to struggle to get this win. Now, they had. 20 shots on goal and like you said they were toothless right in these Mm. shots 
But again, it's you know when you look at all these matches, I, I think of the Hetafe one, I think of the Cadiz loss, just how they were pushed to the limit and it were not able to fight back. And so I think you know when I look at the table, also only ten points separate from fourth, fifth down to sixteenth. And so yeah. that to me kind of gives me more of a feeling that. It's the parity of the league, just like in the NFL, right? The, the parity of the teams are much stronger. And I also think, more importantly, the elite teams are just not as elite. So what do you think the, these teams are better at? Is it better players, better systems? What, what have, what's improved? I think just a better understanding of what Barcelona does, right? Because they have not changed in 10 years, right? So there's so much film on what to do and where to exploit them, especially on the wings. For example, uh, when I look at Cadiz, right? They, were, they weren't even in La Liga last year, but they did not play scared and they knew how to play because the tape is still the same from 2010, 2012, 2014, and then last season and now this season. So these teams just understand exactly what they have to do against Barca. If you go into a match having a solid game plan and understanding that Barca could break out, but then you're fine. Like you play with more confidence. And I just see that across the board with these teams that come playing against Barca. They just play with more confidence. And more importantly, they're just never intimidated like they used to be. Maybe in 2009, maybe. But even then, teams still kind of went to not get beat at Camp Nou and and whatnot. But I would say teams aren't doing anything different than they were. We've just got worse at getting through them. I, you know, I, I remember being at Camp Nou in 2000 and 2009 and seeing teams put 10 men behind the ball and hope for the best. And we would just we would pass through them. We had movement. We were able to get through it. We had potentially we had better players. I, I don't know. But I genuinely think it would be I'm not saying you're being deliberately misleading, but I think the point is misleading to say that teams are doing anything different than they were. I just think we've got worse at dealing with it. You know, I, I can't remember ever Hetafe coming to the Camp Nou and trying to play or vice versa. Kadiv would never have dreamed about it. You would maybe get an outlier here or there where someone like Tenerife or I remember Mallorca one year tried to play quite well and they came through and they try and play football and we just battered them off the park and we'd beat them five or six nil and they they would get praise for trying to play the game well and we would we would go and absolutely steamroll them. Whereas I think now when teams recently have tried to pass the ball around us, they've looked like they could be capable of doing it. When they've put 10 men behind the ball, we can't get through it. And I, I genuinely think that it's us going backwards and us regressing than it is the teams getting better. I also think if you look at if you look at what Madrid are doing, to your point about the elite teams getting worse, I would agree. But I think Madrid are in an obvious state of transition. We apparently aren't. If you listen to Bartomeu before he went, and if you listen to the presidential candidates that are coming in, there is no talk of a transition. In fact, Laporta has come out and openly said there is no such thing as a transition season at Barca. You know, we when we go and sign players like Griezmann and Coutinho and Dembele and we put this money into these players, you know, fair enough, we all understand there was some creative accounting on Pjanic, but Pjanic is a big money signing, officially, you know, for, for any... Uh, football financial authorities listening, that was definitely a sign-in and definitely not a way to avoid going bankrupt. You know, we've got big money players there, um, whereas Madrid are genuinely in transition and they're still getting better results than we are. Atleti, they're not, they haven't deviated off their course. They're, They're looking very comfortable in the Liga. The teams that I think have stepped up are teams that aren't in this conversation. I think Sociedad are better than they were. I think Villarreal are better than they were. Um, Sevilla, marginally better, potentially similar. Valencia have had a nightmare, and the, the one constant happiness I will have is that I'm not a Valencia fan, as well as Hatafe, obviously. Um, I think 
that's the one thing. I'm not a religious man, but I thank God every day for the fact I'm not a Hitafe fan. <laughs> but, you know, if we look at it, the teams who are in this conversation, I don't think they're any better. They're, they're all sitting in the same position as they would have been five years ago. The teams who have improved are beyond this this conversation. I think we're just worse at it. We can't we can't play against teams who, as you've said, have played the same way for ten years. Because yes, we're playing the same way, but so are they, in my opinion. And I just think we we just don't have a strategy. We don't know what our plan B is. Never mind execute plan C or D or E. And also, we're not good enough at doing plan A anymore. So I I think that's the root cause of it. I don't think it's bad luck. We've had bad things happen. Araujo's mistake is very unfair. Um, We've had a few howlers from Teshdegan. I, I strongly, strongly think that to say it's bad luck is borderline self-deception. So yeah, that's my point on it, and I feel very strongly about it. I think we, I think we have regressed massively. I still disagree. <laughs> I, I think you know one of the big things is you know when Barcelona, Madrid came to, for example, Cadiz or Levante, it was this aura that came along with it, right? And I think. A lot of that aura has left, not only because these players on these teams have seen what's going on, but also I just think with videos, social media, it just doesn't have the same intimidation as it used to. Now, I'm not saying that it's only this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm also saying also that's part of it. I think the players just have this idea of how to play these big boys now. And I, you know, like we talk about, if we talk about, you know, 2010, 29, we are getting maybe 21 of these 24 points. And now there's just, you know, getting 11, that's a pretty wide margin. Now, if it was 17, Mm. then I would say maybe that's more of bad luck. But again, 11 of 24, that's quite a disparity of missing out where to me, it's not just a missed opportunity here, missed opportunity there. It's, It's more of a trend with these teams stepping up. Like you said, we don't have a plan B or C. And on top of that, we don't know how to come up with the goods when these teams park the bus we still don't it you know that if you're playing against barcelona you park the bus you hold for 90 minutes you're going to be okay because we have shown that we cannot break that da vinci code you know we still try to do the same thing we give it to jordy jordy gives it to Messi. Messi tries to do the dance and we fail just like today like we should have more opportunities tonight we should. And would, would would you say, here's, I've got two questions for you. Number one, firstly, if other teams are, are using video to studios, why aren't we doing the same and negating that? We've got the same resources, if not, well, if we've got more resources open to us than any other team. Second point would be, do you think we're better or worse in the Champions League than we were? So the answer to your second question, we're worse. We're worse in the Champions League. So if we're worse in the Champions League and we're worse in La Liga, does that not tell us that it's us that's going backwards rather than anyone else going forwards? If it's in everything that we're doing, if it was in one or the other. So if we would, if we were still doing consistently well in the Champions League, I would take your point. And if we had Spanish teams riding high in European competitions, then maybe. But if we're saying the lower half of La Liga is fundamentally better, but we're doing significantly worse than the other things, the other football that we're playing, I, I just can't buy it. I just all the evidence for, to me would suggest that we're just worse than we were. Do I think a bar now? Be a bar from five years ago, I couldn't tell you. Toss of a coin. Do I think Valladolid now would be Valladolid of five years ago? I couldn't tell you. Toss of a coin. There's no one that's really jumping out to me that says, God, they're good now than compared to what they were, that, that are in the bottom half of the table. There's people who have come down to that level. So you could argue historically it might be a stronger it might be a stronger list of names in there, maybe, but their actual teams are I don't know. I mean you know, looking at their Hetafe now, 
Nah, maybe Hitafe. Maybe I'll give you Hitafe. Hitafe have definitely improved. They're better at boxing okay. than they were three years ago. But everyone else that's in there, Levante now compared to Levante of seven years ago, pass. I just, I can't buy it. I can't buy the argument. Yeah. And then answering your first question, of course, we have the resources, but I just think that we just always continually think that we just have superior talent and we don't need to look for these loopholes against other teams, especially against Ibar or via the lead. I mean, it's, is, it's quite apparent. Is that because, is that because that we're saying, yeah, but everyone else, it's not that we need to improve and get better. It's everyone else is getting better. You see nothing we can do about that. If that's the mentality we're failing because you know, you, it's like in, in any walk of life, you, if, if things aren't going well, you've got two options. You either improve yourself or you sit and you dwell on it and, you know, put the Smiths on, listen to Morrissey, drink beer, hope everything gets better without you doing anything. Or you go in and work harder and you go and improve. I just don't think it's happening. We've had players and managers that have come out and said the intensity in training isn't there. This player isn't trying. This player isn't trying. Ricky Pooge isn't trying. That person doesn't try. The intensity of that person's not there. Suarez is going because he doesn't try in training. Messi never tries in training. There's, there's lots of factors that point to us doing things badly and getting worse because of it. You know, it's the old adage, isn't it? People use it on LinkedIn all the time. It's a terrible business cliche, but if you're not moving forwards, you're going backwards. And that's kind of what's happening, in my opinion, is that, you know, yes, we assume we've got talent still, which means we don't work hard enough in training. We don't work hard enough when we're bringing in players. The scouting network seems to have fallen off a cliff. And if that's because we, we think... Well, because we were Pep's Barca and we were Lucho's Barca and we were Tito's Barca. You're beating not now, are you? You're now, you're now Koeman's Barca and you're fifth. It's a good point. Well, this week we have two away matches and they're both on the top half of La Liga. Playing Athletic Bilbao Wednesday night and then Saturday away at Granada. So we'll see how they do against the top. Next week we're going to explore the winter transfer movements and if Barcelona can make any moves to help strengthen their team. Barza Talk is part of the Blaugranogram podcast network. This has been a production of Soundit Media. Thanks to Two Point Go for managing our social media and promotion. Sports Social Podcast Network.